Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour podcast with Amy Wheeler. We're a global community of yoga therapists and related professionals who are sharing our knowledge and experience with one another to make the world a better place for all of us to thrive. On this podcast, we have deep and thought-provoking conversations that we hope will nourish you and make you feel more connected to yourself and to others. Feel free to continue these conversations on our private Facebook group called Yoga Therapy Hour Podcast with Amy Wheeler. And listen at the end of the podcast each week as we'll be giving away a special gift. Remember, we have a mobile app coming out May 2nd, 2022 that tracks mental health and so much more using the foundations of yoga and Ayurveda. Welcome to the Yoga Therapy Hour. And today I have such a huge blessing that is about to happen. I have felt light and spacious and full of hope and joy all day long because I'm going to be talking to my teacher, Gita Shankar, about the teacher and student relationship. And so it's very special to me to share with you this lovely, lovely human being who I have the good fortune to work with. But I think what you are going to enjoy as the listener is the stories that she has about Sir Deskachar. She was his personal student for over two decades. She began her journey at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram in 1986 and eventually went through teacher training, yoga therapy training, and made her way to become the head of yoga studies at the KYM for all of the national and international programs. And in 2018, she was named one of the 100 most inspirational yoga teachers in all of India. And so she had this great blessing of her life to personally study with Deskachar and sit in on many, many, many years of his personal consultations with his students. She got to observe and ask questions and be a part of that. So, you know, she's probably one of the most senior teachers that is left at the KYM. And to have her knowledge and her experience as a yoga therapist, as a yoga teacher, but also to share stories about her connection with her teacher, Mr. Deskachar, it's just really lovely to to have the opportunity to talk with someone who was so close to him and continues to bring these teachings forward into the world. So I don't think there's much more to say, except that I would like to introduce you to Gita Shankar from Chennai, India, and the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram. And I really hope you enjoy this interview. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. 
we'll start the program with an invocation to our teachers. Shri Krishna Vagi Shayatishwarabhyam Samprapta Chakrankana Bhashya Saram Shri Nurt Narangendra Yatau Samarpitaswam Shri Krishna Maryam Guru Varyamide Virodhe Kartike Mase Shatatara Kritodayam Yoga Charyam Krishna Maryam Guru Varyamaham Bhaje Krishna Suri Daya Patram Jnana Vairagya Bhushanam Shri Madhvenkatanadharyam Vandeham Yoga Deshikam Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Thank you, Gita, for that lovely invocation to our teachers at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram. And I want to welcome you and just tell a tiny bit about you that many people may not know. And that is that you actually got to meet Krishnamacharya. And we'd love to hear a little bit about that if, if you're willing. And also, you're one of the most senior teachers at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram, and you study directly under your teacher, TKV Deskachar, and actually sat in on consultations with him for several decades. And I don't think many people know that the knowledge that he passed on to you is is still with us. I mean, it's a very special thing to have sat at the, the feet of Deskachar for so many years in personal consultation with his clients. So where would you like to begin? Um, from, from the very first, when I first met him. So there are two or three instances that, incidents that really pushed me towards yoga. Well, the first one, is it started even before I became a yoga teacher. My own personal experience with Sir as a therapist. So, you know, that was the real starting point. I was uh, lucky to have met Deshikachar Sir when I did in the year 1986. I was a young mother of two very small kids and uh, I so happened to lift a very heavy antique box. And I was struck with excruciating pain, sciatic pain, and was in bed for almost two weeks. I didn't know much about KVM or about Sir at that period of time. And it, it was a friend of mine who suggested that I go and meet him. So, I went and met him. He was so warm and welcomed me. And uh, he did the consultation, followed by therapy classes for me. So uh, after about two or three weeks, the pain was no longer there. And I was really thrilled. 
So this was my first link with yoga therapy. And it was a very positive impression that it created. The second incident happened in the year 1988, the year when uh, the 100th birthday of Krishnamacharya Sir was celebrated. So uh, there were a lot of functions connected with this 100th day celebration. There were a lot of functions. And Sir had invited me for one of them. So it was a public meeting where there were so many people. Some of them requested Krishnamacharya Sir to talk a few words. But instead, he took a deep breath and chanted, It, uh, you know, the sound filled the entire hall and it went on for uh, well over 30 to 40 seconds. But he made it sound as if it was so easy. I was so fascinated, almost mesmerized by that vibration that his chanting created. I went home and tried it. I took a deep breath and timed my effort. I was so disappointed that my chanting didn't go even a second beyond 10 seconds. And, you know, uh, that was the day I really understood the importance and the power of yoga. So in 80, uh, it was that around that time, Sir started the first teacher training program. And he asked me if I would like to join, but I didn't, you know, everything has a time, it has to fall in place. So at that time, period of time, I was teaching in the school. So I felt it was too much for me to take. So I didn't join at that period of time. I did it much later. But the next big influence I would like to mention is the opportunity that I got to observe Sir's classes. This was after I became a yoga teacher. Looking back, I feel that I was so lucky to have been given this chance to observe Sir's classes on many occasions. These sessions would at times leave me absolutely stunned because I was so fascinated by the way he handled the classes, the student and the situation. His ability to check the pulse and diagnose the problem of the student so precisely, it was something that really got me interested. Sir would at time share a few case studies with us. These were all a great learning experience. They spoke volumes about the scope of yoga therapy and how much there was to learn. In fact, the more I observed, the more I felt that there was so much more to learn. And so we could say that my turning towards yoga or towards yoga therapy happened gradually over a period of time my link with yoga therapy became stronger and it has become stronger over the last few years. 
So at that period of time, we could approach Sir because you know not many students were there at that period of time. So I had that opportunity to link with Sir to connect with him whenever I wanted. Wow. What a blessing that you weren't even looking for. It just felt, felt like a blessing from the heavens, it sounds yeah. like. And I must also tell you about the period when we did the teacher training program. Mm. It was a four semester program at that period of time. And Sir taught us all the four semesters. He, was, uh, he taught us at least one subject. And at the end of four semesters, we were just waiting to finish because we were all students who were learning after a big gap. So it was a strain for us to, uh, learning was easy, but recalling, remembering, you know, was very difficult and writing was even more difficult. So we were just waiting to finish. At that period of time, Sir came to our class one day and said that I feel your group needs to learn one more semester. It was almost like the Gurukula period where the teacher decided when the student should face the world or when they should stop the training. So I think we are the only batch which did one extra module with him. And looking back, I feel you know, what a blessed group we were to learn more from Sir. And, uh, you know, that was a real blessing. Interesting how at the time you probably felt disappointed with two young children and the strain of life feeling like, oh, another semester. And now looking back, you can see that an entire another semester with Deskachar. <laughs> I would like to ask you, you had just said that when you sat in consultations with Sir, your your shraddha or your faith grew and grew, and that at times that you were stunned. Can you was that because he was helping people to heal things that didn't seem like they could be healed, or why were you stunned? Because the precision with which he could tell the student diagnose his problem just by uh, checking his pulse. He would even ask the student, I think you must have had jaundice when you were a kid. You know, that sort of thing, you know, it really was something absolutely remarkable, uh, you know, fascinating. Do you think he learned that from Krishnamacharya? Because obviously, because uh, sir, uh, learned from his father for well over three to four decades. So that was one thing that is most important in yoga therapy is that it empowers the student. Mm. You know, yoga therapy is not like a medication or a tablet that you swallow and then wait for the top tablet to do its work. It is not that. Uh, here in yoga therapy, the student has a very important role to play in the healing process. So the teacher's most important job is to empower and motivate the student. And, you know, make the student get involved in the process of healing. 
If you ask me which tool is most important, whether it was the body work or the breath, relationship, mental focus, meditation or lifestyle changes, I would say they are all part of the healing process. Everything, because they are all connected. When we see the Panchamaya model from the Taitri Upanishad, we know that the five layers, dimensions in the human system, the body, breath, mind, uh, personality, or uh, emo inner emotions, they're all interconnected. They influence each other. So uh, they all have a sort of a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. Of course, we use tools like asana, pranayama, chanting, meditative techniques, you know, uh, everything we use. But it is very important to link mentally. That is very important. Because when you link with an object, a positive object, a person or a deity, all these work on a different level. They work together to bring about positive personal transformation. And the personal touch that the teacher has with the student can be the catalyst. So tell me more about that. How, how did you see Deskachar empower students and motivate them to get involved in their own healing and take responsibility? he gave the student positive energy and he induced faith in the student. That is what uh, sets yoga therapy apart from other approaches. Sir would welcome the student, uh, almost go to the gate and welcome. And when he, the student was ready to leave, he would walk the student right up to the gate. And he would tell the student that you are in safe hands. He would even call the teacher who was going to handle the classes and then talk very highly about the teacher. And the student would always feel, ah, I am in safe hands and this teacher is really going to help me. So that's all, because healing starts from within. Right. So when the student feels so positive and uh, hears that the teacher is a great teacher who's going to handle the classes and uh, Deshikachar sir is going to guide the teacher, then he feels absolutely safe. When the mind is calm, healing takes place faster. The minute the connection happens with sir, the student is already on the way towards healing because he feels so good, so positive, and he's sure that something is going to happen to change and he's going to be out of the problem that he has come here for. So that is something that, that link with the teacher. That is what is very, very important. And, and do you think that mainly happens through the kindness and the friendliness and the sweetness that Sir had in his personality. I mean, you've told me stories about him walking through the KYM, greeting people, giving compliments, handing out little candies. He, he's just a little sweetheart, I think. <laughs> One more thing is that 
sometimes people come with a lot of problems and so would just give a few breathing practices. The student might even feel, why hasn't he given me any asana? I have come here for yoga. So they always connect yoga with asana. But over a period of time, when the student feels better, then he realizes the importance of breathing. So it is something that sir made them experience. So that is something really great because we always think that when a student comes for a particular problem, we have to give this posture, this posture or that posture. But it was not so. He could bring about the change with just breathing. So Gita, can you tell me a little bit about how the teacher-student relationship maybe was back in kind of maybe the olden days, because I think it's very different today. And you've even said to me that you're not sure it's possible to have a similar teacher-student relationship in modern times. Yes. Earlier, of course, the teacher knew everything and the student would just follow implicitly whatever the teacher advised. But now, today, we need to be very practical. And uh, we also need to convince the student that we are on the right path. So at the KYM, we have a beautiful way in which we deal with students. The first, we have a consultation where the consultant sees the student and uh, checks, asks a lot of questions to know the student well and designs the practice. And then one of our senior teachers handles the classes, but the teacher reports to the consultant. And the consultant is always aware of what is going on or the response of the student how he's responding to the course. So all this is always there, that link with the consultant and the teacher is always there. And every class, before every class, the teacher, whenever he or she has a doubt, he would go back to the consultant. The consultant will also walk into the class when the class is going on, to see if the student is comfortable, not because they don't have faith in the teacher, but just to make the student feel, okay, somebody is supervising the class and I'm uh, you know, being looked after, taken care of. So that is very important. So that link is very, very important. I remember um, I had the good fortune of sitting in with you in 2011. And I was really shocked when I saw you working in, you know, internship. I was the intern watching you work with a client. And it reminded me of how Krishnamacharya said that yoga therapy is like surgery without a scalpel. That's how skillful you were in choosing which pranayama, which asana, when to rest, uh, the the visualization or bhavana, the chant. It was it was remarkable to see you weave together these tools for the exact needs of that student. Yes, uh, you know that is a 
one uh, thing that I must tell you here that when we see the student, we also feel which teacher would be able to link with that student. That is also very important that uh, the teacher-student relationship is a very, very positive one. So I feel that because we have been working with Sir, you know, we know that the student and this uh, teacher will link better. So that is very important. You know, when uh, people expect certain things, outcomes out of the classes that we do, most people come to yoga or therapy with either one, two or three or even more problems. As teachers, we need to prioritize our goals because our first aim is to relieve pain. That is very, very important and work towards wellness. Uh, you know, physical health improvements are the first to happen because we focus on that and the uh, student starts experiencing these benefits. This is also something that makes the student feel positive and more calm. When there is more peace of mind, healing happens faster, as I told you. Uh, like, you know, I would like to quote from uh, Yoga Rahasya on which, you know, Deshikachar sir and Krishnamacharya sir based a lot of their teachings. It says one sloka from there, Rogino dhanino vasyo rajana shudhyopiva nakadapi manashantim labante bhutale narahat. This means whoever it may be, a rich man or a king or a learned person, whoever, when the person is sick, he will not have peace of mind. So we all know that when there is no peace of mind, it becomes very difficult for him to focus and or even fulfill his duties, whatever. So healing starts from the mind. So when the mind is relaxed, healing happens faster. Asanas are always done with breath regulation and this helps to involve the mind as well. And so positive changes starts happening. You know, they start happening over a period of time. First at a very gross level, but over a period of time when the student practices with focus and with faith, then changes happen at the mind level, personality level, over a period of time. So, you know, their perception changes and, uh, you know, they are able to accept many things and wait patiently for those positive changes to happen. So this is something that, you know, uh, a sincere practitioner can benefit through regular practice. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because I'm hearing that the teacher kind of sets up this container of positivity and proper mindset, but I would like to ask you, what are the necessary qualities of a, a good student that will help that student to heal? 
uh, one is that the practice should be very regular. Dirga kala nairantarya satkara adhara asevito dhridabhumihi. Yoga Sutra says, so the practice has to be done continuously without a break, with faith, with positive feelings. So that is something. And uh, one more thing I want to tell you is that, uh, you know, Deshikachar sir has uh, many times uh, compared the student-teacher relationship in so many different ways he has described it. You know, it is totally based on mutual respect and trust. In the book, What Are We Seeking? Deshikachar sir has said that the teacher should be a good listener. I quote from the book, the capacity to listen should be developed well, and this will help us to perceive things that we did not notice earlier. A teacher should learn to listen in a very special way, without speculation, suspicion, or preconceived ideas. So this, I think, according to me, is so special that especially in yoga therapy, because our health issues, however small, as a teacher, we have to listen to the student because, uh, you know, whatever the health issue, however small it is, it is real for the student. It is very real. Any symptoms, however insignificant it can be, it may sound, it is real for the student. So the teacher should be open to listen with a sincerity that makes the uh, student look forward to positive changes, uh, to look forward with faith. And this listening skill that we can develop over a period of time, it will not happen overnight. It will take time, but it will help us to help the student better, to move the student towards healing. So the confidence that we infuse with that sincerity of listening, is uh, it'll help in a big way. And can you talk a little bit about how the student might feel linked to the teacher? And, and what can we do to promote that? Because I think sometimes, at least in the West, we have students coming who want a quick fix. They have demands. It's almost transactional in nature. And I, I find that what I see at the KYM, there's, there's almost a different attitude. There's a sweetness. There's a caretaking. It's, it's not a transaction. I'm going to pay you this much money and you're going to give me a lesson kind of feeling. So can you talk about that? that heartfelt link that I think is, in my opinion, necessary for the healing to begin. Yes, definitely. Uh, that is why I said during the consultation, we talk a lot about uh, the problem, not just the problem, but about the student, his lifestyle, his uh, uh, eating habits, his family. So we understand a lot and we need to keep our ears, eyes, and uh, mind open to listen to the, as I told you, the teacher has to be a good listener. 
So it is very important. Sometimes the student loves to pour out his problems or her problems. So when you feel the teacher is listening, when the student feels that, uh, yes, she is listening or he is listening with a lot of sincerity, that itself creates a positive vibration. And it starts the healing process there. And, so, and did you feel you had that with Sir, that he would listen to your struggles as a young mother with a back problem and a school teacher? Yes. You know, uh, I remember that uh, one of the questions you had asked is about how do you handle self-doubt and disappointment as a teacher? Uh, self-doubt crisis or disappointments are all part of, you know, uh, every walk of life you find them. They are all obstacles that you find in every profession. But in order to fight it, we need to stand firmly on our beliefs. And the more trust we have in our belief, the more strength we have to fight the problem with conviction. So, you know, mentors can be great guides and who can help us sail through these hard times whenever we have no strength or less strength to sail through. Deshkachar was my teacher and mentor for many years. I remember I used to go to him whenever I had a doubt or if my student was not responding the way I expected the student to respond. So I would, uh, you know, even when I was organizing programs, whatever, I would go to him very often. The Yoga Sutra, you remember, 137 says, Vita Meditate or connect with an inspiring person who has a lot of experience and who's willing to share his experiences, his teachings with you. So I would turn to Sir whenever I felt the need for a connect. But I must tell you that my teacher never gave me ready-made answers nor solutions. Tell us more about that. <laughs> he always used to lead me to the solution. He would make me think and arrive at the answer myself. This, according to me, is empowering the student and not making the student dependent. So my mentor was Sir for many years, and this is the way he handled it. He always used to help me find the answer myself. Now, after Sir, uh, Sridharan Sir is my mentor, and it, he also uses the same technique as Deshikachar Sir. He, he helps the student to find the solution. So, you know, everything, there are so many things that influence us in a big way. And this is something that I must tell you that how Sir made us think and never gave us ready-made answers. And, and does that mean he would give you a meditation practice to help you sort through it? Or he would make he, a comment that would kind of stick in your mind? Or how did he do it? He, he, he would ask me what is, uh, you know, uh, where I have my faith, you know, something, a deity or uh, something that I would like to focus on. I remember he gave me a, a practice, a meditative practice on Lord Ganesha. 
and he also gave me a copper bangle which i could wear during the meditative practice so he would tell me that this bangle will link you to your focus and it really did so the minute i wore the bangle my focus i i felt was better so these are all very very small things you know that make you uh, understand that the teacher is really uh, taking care of you and, and teacher, has, w- would you wear that bangle all day then or would you take it off and only put I it back on i do it i only wear it when i do my meditative practice in fact when i talk about my personal practice you know i must tell you that uh, earlier uh, my practice was not so regular mm-hmm. i would find a reasons okay i'm busy today so i'm not able to uh, do my practice but uh, over a period of time especially after this uh, covid situation i my practice became even more uh, uh you know uh, focused and regular in june last year i was down with covid and uh, i had all the symptoms that the newspapers talk about you know, fever body pain uh, digestion problems loss of smell and taste and uh, you know headaches everything and i could not do any practice at all at that period of time but i did my pranayama so i did many many techniques almost uh, uh four to five times a day i did my practice and uh, i used pratiloma ujjayi pranayama i used sheetali i used uh, surya vedana pranayama so i used all these to uh, you know it uh, turns in turns you know all these but almost four to five times a day and within a week i was all right i did not need hospitalization and uh, you know uh, and i felt much better after i started doing these practices so you know the regularity with which you do the practice also counts a lot and of course the appropriate practice is also very important well that could be a whole another podcast asking about why you chose pratiloma ujjayi and shitali and surya vedana do you have a a quick answer for that uh there isn't any quick answers but i can tell you that whenever i had fever shitali helped me to bring my body temperature down and pratiloma ujjayi regularizes the pulse and you know it helps you to become more stable at the breath level so that is why i chose that i remember when you were you were doing this and and were you lying in bed or could you actually sit up and and do it i did a lot of uh, breathing in a lying down position whenever i felt tired but uh, i also sat down to do the pratiloma ujjayi i sat down because you know in 
in a seated position, the breath is more efficient and you can work on it better. And would you say, I mean, when we're talking about the Krishnamacharya tradition, would you say pranayama techniques and ratios, is that kind of the primary healing tool that, or would you say all of them are equally important? All of them are equally important. Like, for example, when you talk about my practice, I sometimes just sit quietly. I do a bit of introspection. Swadhyaya. It's a sort of a meditation for me. I try to assess my actions or uh, make decisions about how I should plan certain things or how I should have reacted to certain situations. I go over it. So this helps me to take steps for to better myself in some way. So anything can be a tool. Now, there is something, another case study that I would like to talk about. Most people, as I told you, come to KYM with a lot of problems. And we know that we need to take care of them. But Deshika Charsar used to say that the most important for a yoga therapist should that he should not limit himself or herself to just a few fixed or accepted tools. He used to say that we need to be innovative and uh, you know, invent tools to go along with the yoga practices to deal with health problems. So Sir was well known for the simple approach, which was very unique as well. So his sense of observation was so good that many times he made use of it while designing practices for his students. He observed each and every student very keenly and at times invented tools that would help in the student's healing. Very, very different from conventional methodology. These were very simple but had tremendous positive effect on his student. One particular case that he told us about very often is about a student who was going through a very low phase in life and was quite depressed. So Sir spoke to him a lot, got to know him better, and then he suggested that the student should visit as many temples as possible in the south of India and take photos of the beautiful sculptures on the pillars of the temple. So the student got so involved in this activity that he forgot his old problem. So, and he came back so refreshed and happy. So like, you know, Yoga Sutra 1.50 says, Tajja samskara anya samskara pratibandhi. So new and positive habits should be cultivated as this will help to replace old habits or old tendencies. So, these, when combined with a regular and appropriate yoga practice, help the student to get over his problems in a very, very smooth and easy way. You know, a yoga therapist should also keep his mind open and learn from the experience of others to help the problems of students. I remember we used to discuss a lot of case studies and 
one case study which is very very interesting was that of a student who had an alcohol addiction and he confessed that his urge to drink was maximum at 11 am so the teacher gave classes exactly at 11 am and every day the student was asked to come half an hour before the class started so the student was asked to come at 10:30 itself so the student would feel so restless and he would walk up and down and uh, till his class started and at times he would even sit and read a book waiting for the teacher to come and by the time his class started and his practice sessions got over it would be well past noon and the student this helped the student to get over that weak period and this went on for about 3 months every day and by the end of that time the student had got over his problem so the teacher's innovative methodology helped to solve a difficult problem you know these techniques that the teachers use is not written in any book we learn these from the experience of others so it is not just the physical movements or the breath regulation but innovative tools when they are used along with a good and appropriate practice they help to heal in a better way and according to me this is a big learning and which is very practical as well so as yoga therapists we need to keep our ears eyes and mind open and uh, to new learning and incorporate these in our application of yoga for therapy mm. you know there's a yoga sutra that that says we can use any tool that that works yes correct so gita what is one piece of advice you would give yoga teachers and yoga therapists about being a really really skilled and excellent yoga teacher or yoga therapist uh this is exactly what i uh, said now that mm. don't confine yourself only to traditional or accepted tools keep your mind open and make sure that the impact of the class is so good that healing starts from the very first class so that is something you know uh, very very important you know gita uh, i'm a little embarrassed to say but i was um when covid started i was sitting at my desk too many hours a day on zoom and my back had gotten so horrible that i could barely walk around the block and i took a lesson with you and it immediately had an impact like after the first lesson i was like this is incredible what just happened i feel better and within 3 days i was able to go you know walking with my husband and dogs again i mean it was it happened so fast and so effectively i was i was actually and i still am kind of in shock about it and you know now i've been working with you for almost a year 
and I'm running and hiking. And how do you explain that? How do you explain how quickly, I mean, I am a yoga therapist, but you were able to help me suffer less so quickly. How do you explain that? No, it is first thing is understanding the problem and why it happened when it did. That is something, you know, it makes us decide what will help the student. And going slow, the teacher should never try to show off by giving all the postures that he or she knows. It is not necessary. Only those postures which are absolutely essential to move the student towards healing. That is what you don't have to worry. What will the student think if I just give one different asana today? She's paying for a class, so I need to give more postures. No, that is not important. What is important is that you give, even if it is one posture, the correct and appropriate posture, which will help the student. And another very important thing is the regularity with which the student practices. You have been an excellent student mm. and you have been <laughs> practicing so regularly. So that is also another reason why these positive changes happened so quickly. And, you know, basically what you gave me was so simple and so easy. I actually think I had been hurting myself through my yoga practice. And when you really brought it down to the very basics with a lot of rest periods and just lying on my back and breathing, I remember thinking, this is so easy. Is this going to work? But it was less is more. That's what I needed was more rest on my back, baby postures at the wall. It was amazing. So thank you. <laughs> so, uh, thanks to uh, my teacher, Deshka Char, sir, because whatever I have learned, not only in my teacher training program, but also in my therapist training program, is all uh, because of sir and the great teachers who have taught us. Mm. So, so, Gita, where do you see the field of yoga therapy heading in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? I think... The awareness about yoga and yoga therapy has been increasing over a period of time. And it is gaining momentum because nowadays we see that doctors are, have started suggesting yoga therapy to their uh, patients. And sometimes doctors even send them to the KVM to make us a part of the healing process. So I think that's something that is very, very good. So people don't come to yoga as a last resort when everything else failed. So they come to yoga with a positive feeling that this is going to help me. So that is very important. And 10 years from now, if you look at the best scenario that I would like is when people start accepting yoga as part of their daily life as it was in ancient India. And, you know, the benefits of a regular practice is so enormous. And I would like to see that in five to 10 years when uh, people will start doing yoga 
in a, on a regular basis and ben get the benefit of yoga practice, not just turning to yoga when somebody is sick. It's not that. It should be part of the daily uh, routine, a daily lifestyle. It's a part of that. So that is something that I would really like to see in another five to 10 years. And Gita, at the end of, of your life, we hope this is not anytime soon. We need, we need you and your knowledge and your, your willingness to carry on this beautiful tradition. But when it comes to the end and you're having your last breath, what do you want to know in your heart, both personally and professionally? It's a beautiful question. See, the work that I'm doing is something that I know and something that I feel can help others. So when people come to me for help, I know it is because they have some faith and they have the hope that I will help them in some way. So whatever I do, I need to continue to work to the best of my capacity with the sincere intention of helping people around because they hope that I can help them and that is what I should do. And to your question, what would you want people to say about you or feel about you? Uh, this reminds me of a quotation that I read somewhere a few days back. It said, don't strive to make your presence noticed. Just make your absence felt. That, I think, is a beautiful thing, and I would like to follow that. That, that actually makes me a little bit emotional. That's a beautiful quote. Uh, there's one more thing that I would uh, like to tell you is, again, about the student-teacher relationship. In the book, Health, Healing, and Beyond, Deshkachar sir has said something beautiful about this bond between the teacher and the student. He says that the bond between the teacher and the student is like a rope between two mountain climbers. It suggests the absolute bond of trust that must exist between the student and the teacher. He says another way of interpreting this is that the more the teacher advances, the more he or she can give to the student or help the student. This is a beautiful comparison. And I think it's something that will make you think. Uh, there is also Another quotation that he has given, he has described the relationship between the teacher and the student in another way. He says it is a bond that lightens and strengthens. So it's a very loaded sentence, this. It gives a lot of scope to think about how we can interpret it in many ways. It is a bond that lightens, which means that it is a bond that does not weigh us down. And it is a bond that strengthens, which means maybe that 
it strengthens our sense of responsibility. Mm. Of course, the lightning also happens when the teacher is able to infuse faith and empower the student to be a part of the healing process. So I think this sentence is a beautiful sentence which gives a lot of scope to think about and interpret it in the way you feel is good for you. So it's a beautiful, I really uh, thought I should share that with you. Yes, I feel that experientially from working with you that when I'm feeling down or like my faith is not as strong as I would like, I look forward to meeting with you on Thursday night because I know that I'll feel better afterwards not because you did any particular thing, but there, there is that connection or link that makes me feel stronger on Friday morning. I'm going to feel so much better <laughs> and it's hard to describe, but I think it's, um, you must feel it and experience it to really understand it. Thank you. You know, nothing gives a teacher more pleasure or more happiness than when he or she hears that the student is getting better and feeling better and is out of the problem that he or she came to yoga for. So it is something that makes our profession something that gives you a lot of happiness. You know, every uh, profession has a lot of obstacles, a lot of tension, strain, all that will always be there. But it is something that as yoga teachers, we are better equipped to handle. Like the Yoga Sutra says as one of the benefits of asana practice, tato dvandva anabhigataha, which means that we are able to face the opposites of life in a better way. We don't overreact to situations. So uh, remaining calm, is very important for a yoga teacher because when the student pours out his problem, if you're going to get so involved that it upsets you, mm-hmm. then you will be in no position to help the student. So we need to be stable and strong so that we can help the student. So this is something that, you know, Yoga teaches us and over a period of time, practicing yoga gives you that benefit to remain calm and be of some help whenever possible. Kita, I feel that's a wonderful place to end. And in classical style of of Sir Deskachar, you've given us some things to ponder, some stories, some ideas like the the climbers with the rope that's one thing i really loved about him is things from 20 years ago back when i first visited and met you in in 2001 at the krishnamacharya silver jubilee i still think of those ideas that sir would present and ask us to ponder like i remember one of them was something about responsibility and freedom which one is more important? <laughs> like, I still think of that today, 20 years later. 
he would always throw out us throw up a sentence and ask us to think about it yes yeah, yeah. right it's uh, such a blessed feeling not only because i was able to see krishnamacharya sir but also to be deshikachar sir student for such a long period of time and that i had the opportunity to turn to him when i wanted that i felt the need to connect and he was always welcoming when whenever i went to him and uh, sometimes and he would even tell me i don't want you to ask me that question i want you to find the answer yourself so these are times when you know that sort of a reaction would empower the student to think otherwise the student will become too dependent on the teacher so he knew how to handle the students and do you feel that even after death is there still a connection with him yes of course mm. we don't have to see his physical body in front of you you don't have to whatever he has taught us whatever he has showed us he has showed us the light and that is what is very important so uh, you know very often i think of him i think of all that he taught us and he how he gave us lectures special classes these are all something that you can never forget mm. so this these are things that will stand by us till our end it's almost as if he can live on through you all through all his students yes yeah every student of his you know some teachers have that capacity in them to influence not just one student but many students at the same time and he was one of them my last question i promise why do you think he was able to do that he he influenced so many people and continues to th- through the book of the heart of yoga when people read that they are magnetized and really want to understand this man what what do you think made him so interesting and special one thing is his experience which he was willing to share and two he could uh, explain difficult concepts in a very simple way and he would also give real life examples so that it made sense so he could explain the most difficult concepts so easily so that every student of his would remember the answer over a period of time so in fact even his yoga sutra classes we used to have classes every saturday mm. he never used to ask us why we are late he would just have to look at you if you just walked in late so and we would feel okay i have done something wrong today i have not been able to stick to time he doesn't have to scold you mm. so we all of us every one of us would just the time management he taught through that we would finish our work and come there on time every week so by his actions he taught us many things he was like a living example 
So we learned a lot by just looking at the way he responded to situations, responded to students. So many things, he was a living example. That I think was a very, very important quality in a teacher mm -hmm. where you could influence your students by just doing things the way you do. That is something amazing. Gita, at one of those Saturday lessons, he asked me a question in front of the group and I didn't know the answer. And I should have just said, I don't know the answer, but I, I don't know why, but I just tried. And after I answered, he said, oh, that's a wonderful answer. Thank you so much. And I thought to myself, how did I get that right? That's amazing. Where did that come from? And, and then later I went outside and I said to my friend, I said, I can't believe I answered that question right. And he looked at me, my friend, and said, you didn't. So, <laughs> things like that really stick with you long term and make you out of incidents. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was one of my biggest life lessons about humility and ego and all of it, just in that simple act. You yes. know? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. He was a great person. Mm -hmm. Even after his death, he remains, you know, evergreen in your memory, what he spoke and what he did, the way he reacted, the way he said things and everything. Yeah. It, it, the memories haven't faded. It's almost like they're still very close. Yes. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about teacher and student relationship and sharing your experience with Sir Deskachar. Is there anything you'd like to finish with or do you feel complete? I feel that I should thank you for giving me this opportunity. Mm. You, everyone in your studio who has worked with you, you know, to make things happen for you and you're doing a great job, I think. And uh, keep it up and that all the best to you and every student of yours and everyone who works with you. Thank you, Gita. Thank you. I've just finished the interview with Gita Shankar. And some of the impressions that I'm left with after speaking with her and hearing the stories of her relationship with Sir Deskachar are that simplicity and being gentle and kind and sweet and being a great listener and finding innovative ways to work with students that have nothing to do with asana or pranayama or meditation, that this ability to connect and create relationship with our yoga students and clients is really the essence. And that's just so simple that it's really heart-to-heart -heart connection and it's that 
positive feeling that kind of opens up the student or the client to the possibility or the hope that healing and change can happen. I remember when I came to Gita, even though I've known her for 20 plus years now, because I met her in 2001 at the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandram. That's another story for another day. But even after knowing her for so long, now that I get to meet with her on a regular basis to create my private practice, I can absolutely tell you that the day that I get to meet with her, I feel excited and happy and almost giddy. And my my whole day is full of light and lightness and possibility and hope. Whatever I've been going through, I feel like it's going to be okay because I'm going to get a practice that is going to help me with that. And I'm going to connect with her. And to me, that's just very simple. Like, I don't know how to explain to a hospital system or to a healthcare program or a recovery center that as a yoga therapist, I'm going to treat your clients with care. I'm going to make them feel hopeful and expansive and light. I'm going to help them feel invested in their own health and recovery. I hope to self-empower them to make lifestyle changes. It almost seems like we should do more than that, that if that's the promise, will anyone want to hire us or will we be able to get clients? And I think we need to claim it and we need to say, yes, I'm here to listen. I'm here to be in a positive relationship. I'm here to give simple breath practices. I'm here to do very gentle asana. And yes, that is going to heal. I'm, I'm here to create positive intentions. I'm here to create a change in perspective or help the student have a change in perspective. You know, sometimes I think we we make things so complicated. And if we could just do less and keep it simple and elegant and claim that, that that is powerful. Ease is powerful. I think if all of us as yoga therapists just said, yep, that's our superpower. That's what we do. We claim it. We're great at it along with things like balancing the autonomic nervous system, I think we would really be able to impact people on a very, very deep level. And so I just want to encourage us all to keep it simple, keep it kind, keep it hopeful, and focus on the heart, focus on the relationship, focus on the sweetness, And that's enough. It's more than enough. It's what the world needs. And we don't have to do anything more fancy than that. We don't have to make any bigger promises. You know, so many times, I think as a yoga therapist, we somehow feel insecure because we think, what are we bringing to the table 
to these students that other people like an acupuncturist or a physical therapist or a psychologist, what are we doing that's different? And I think saying I'm here to create hope and health and well-being and support and sweetness and friendliness and kindness, that's great. That's what the world needs. And the rest will follow from there. What's magnificent to me is when we start in that place, all things are possible, including helping people with insomnia or back pain or asthma or whatever problem they're coming with. But that is the starting point. So I feel very happy that we had this time together. I hope you enjoyed it too. We have a lot to think about after listening to Gita and I wish you well. Have a great day. Our gift to you is to give you a free infographic each week that you listen to the podcast. If you go to the show notes, you'll see a link where you can sign up and find the categories that you're interested in, like mental health or physical health or social justice. And whenever we have an infographic that is in that category, we'll send it to you weekly. Thank you for listening to our show today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share the episode with a friend or colleague. We're so grateful you're willing to share. Also, you could write us a review on most major platforms that host podcasts. Give us five stars if you appreciate the show and tell us what you love so that we can do more of that. Finally, we support several nonprofit organizations through this podcast. See the show notes to understand how you can help. If you'd like to be a guest or a sponsor, for this program, contact us at the email welcome at theoptimalstate.com. Welcome at theoptimalstate.com. And finally, a special thank you to our team here at Optimal State. We are truly a global family. George Mantuan, one of our executive producers. Adam Satchel senior media producer and sound engineer from the Philippines, Krishna Panchal, a producer from Canada, Modupe Abdullahi, who does the show notes and is an editor for us from Nigeria, and Peter Morley, who wrote and produced the music for this show, who lives in Australia. Find more about Peter's work at www.zenmusic.biz. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.